All right, there it is. Uh, my name is Dwight. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, I had a seven-week preaching break uh, this summer, uh, which is really, really great. Uh, but last week, I preached 11 times in a week. So I really feel like I didn't get that much of a break, and I'm really ready to be back at it. So, so glad that you're welcome uh, and that you're here. Uh, we are celebrating 10 years as a church, uh, actually, like, in the next few weeks. So we're, we're doing that today. Uh, in a picnic this evening, and more information will be uh, about that. But during COVID, something happened with our church that uh, we used to meet at a theater uh, just a few streets over, and we decided actually to break the church up into uh, five different locations uh, around different parts of the city. And so that's what we're doing. So what you're experiencing now is almost like a restart of what we're doing downtown. And so I'm so glad uh, because we, we need more people all throughout uh, the island of Montreal, to be uh, hearing about who Jesus is and what he's doing, and so excited for that. So what I want to do is I want to pray uh, for us, for myself, and then we will get going. Jesus, thank you for bringing everyone uh, who is here, here today. I pray for those who are struggling to believe uh, who you are. Uh, they don't believe that you exist, and uh, you have great compassion uh, and love for them, despite that reality. And I pray that you would make yourself known uh, to them. I pray for uh, our church today that as we're going through uh, this, this short verses, that you would speak to us, that you would uh, remove things that, are, that seem to be over our eyes and, and covering our ears so that we can't hear. Would you remove that? Would you allow for our heart to actually engage with who you are and what you've done? And would you give us vision as to what you want to see happen uh, here in the city? Uh, we pray for... Um, we continue to pray for Afghanistan, and uh, we pray for uh, people who are followers of you in that country, uh, that they uh, would, would be faithful uh, to you, that you would allow for your gospel and your good news to uh, keep exploding uh, throughout that place. Uh, and we love you, and we need you. Amen. Uh, just so you know, I don't know what those noises are above. Uh, I was going to pray, but I didn't want to be... Um, yeah, there it is. So there, there are kids doing kids' things up there. So if you live in a Montreal apartment, you know that there are noises above you, and like sometimes there are weird noises, right, in the middle of the night, and you're like, I wish I didn't hear these noises. But these are probably safe noises. So just embrace the reality that you're going to probably hear uh, children being children and no one dying, and uh, we'll just get on with it, all right? So uh, we are in uh, this little series called what is it even called? There it is, Forging Followers of Jesus. And this is really what we want to be about as, as a church. And so we want to talk uh, today. Last week we spoke about uh, community really loving one another and what it means to be community. And this week we're going to talk about what it looks like for that community to actually be on mission and the mission that Jesus has. But I would like for this to be a little bit dialogical, okay? So just embrace the reality that you might have to say something today and feel comfortable doing that. But communities, communities are defined and bound together by many different variables. What are some of the variables that bring together communities? And go. Language. Okay, language. Who, who yelled that? Yes. Oh, that's good. Language. All right. What else? What? Oh, okay. You sat in my first sermon already, Malachi. You put that, put that away. Just... Keep that for a moment, all right? Today's, sometimes I bring my kids because I'm on the preaching circuit today and Malachi came to the first service with me. So 
Uh, anyone else? Pretend that didn't exist, right? Uh, what other things bind communities together? Shared interests. So give me a few interests. Sports? Sports? Yeah, that's great. Um, does anyone here like baseball? Yeah, my kids and two other. Okay, yeah. So when I first came to Montreal, uh, I said, hey, I would love to watch a baseball game with people. No one came. I actually watched the Red Sox, my favorite team, win a World Series with a hockey fan and a soccer. And they're like, no, it's football. I'm like, not soccer. Anyway, I watched the Red Sox win a World Series with them. For me, that's like an epic moment. And it was done, and they were celebrating. They said, oh, is that it? I'm like, you guys are losers. Like, I'm never watching anything with you again. But yes, we, we get around our favorite hobbies and stuff. Anything else? History. Okay, like a love of history? Okay. So what do you mean by history? Yes, that's great. Food. That's right. Age and stage stuff. Lots of different reasons why people come together. But the church is a community as well. The church is a community. What binds together and defines the church? Now, don't answer that. I know you're all, like, eager to answer now. Don't answer that. I'm going to come back to it in just a minute. Okay, Malachi? Boom. Uh, but before I answer that, let me just remind us or tell you for the first time that we believe that church is family, that it's not an institution, it's not a building, uh, it really is a family. And so let me tell you about a family. There's a, there's a family, Team Hoyt, it's called. This is a father and son uh, that do uh, Ironman triathlons together. You all know what an Ironman is? Ironman, it's like you have to enjoy suffering, right? It's like, hmm, what can I do this year to suffer? Yeah, I'll do an Ironman, right? As if there isn't enough suffering in the world. But incredible athletes to be able to do this, right? So you find out this information. Team Hoy is this father-son team. They love doing Iron Man competitions together. So what would you say defines them as a little community? What? Pain, yes, pain. What else? Okay, working together toward a common goal. This might yell at me for a second. I don't know. <clears throat> okay, what else? Endurance. Self-discipline, right? All things. <clears throat> it could be that they really love the sport. Uh, you might look at them and say they love suffering, they love, they love the competition, whatever. But let me tell you another piece of information about Team Hoyt. Uh, team Hoyt is very different than any other Ironman team that's ever competed before. Uh, because the son, Rick, he's never actually swam in his life. Uh, he's never biked, and he's never ran. So Rick was was born and uh, had cerebral palsy, cerebral palsy, I guess you can pronounce it two different ways. <clears throat> and so he's never actually done any of these things before in his life. And for every single race that they've done, they've done uh, over a thousand competitions. Uh, the dad just passed away this past year. But they've done over a thousand competitions together. And in every competition, it was the dad carrying the son through everything. So when they did the, the, the four-kilometer swim, the son was in a little boat. And this isn't like a small son. His dad started doing this when he was 36 years old. So he would swim four kilometers as if that isn't impossible and hard enough with his son tied in a little boat. And he would bike with his son on the bike. And he would run with him in a, like a stroller type thing. And he, they would always compete 
together. There was never a time that he just did it all on his own. So when you find out that second piece of information, how would you define Team Hoyt now? Love. Love. It's a father loving his son so much that he would say, I want to participate with you in these things. And that would take a love that's going to get up early and train. That's going to take a love that's going to get up and care. That's going to be a love that's going to bear with. Because imagine training with your dad all the time. That would be frustrating. You would need to forgive one another. This is going to be a love that's sacrificial and selfless. This is going to be a love that's, that carries with it humility. Because even for the son, some of the things that have to happen during that race is going to be humiliating. And just because his body can't function, his mind functions quite well. So the humbling reality of what he's having to go through throughout this, this is what that community is defined by. It's defined by love. So let me go back to the question I asked previously. What should define and bind together the church? You're two for two, man. In baseball, you'd be doing really well, Rob. Okay? Love. Love. So let me reread uh, John 13, 34, and 35 to us. Now, John is a book in the New Testament. Uh, the Bible's made up of uh, Old Testament, before Jesus came, New Testament, life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and the first hundred years or so snippets of uh, Christianity, that first hundred years. It's not everything, but it's, it's a lot. And, and what we have is enough here to tell us about who God is and what God does and who we are or who we can be and what we're to do. And so John was actually a follower of Jesus. He refers to himself as a beloved disciple, um, and he was, Jesus loved him quite intensely. Verse 34 of John 13, he writes, a new commandment I give to you. Now this is Jesus saying, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Well, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as we think about the community that is the church, really love should define this. And not love like you love your dog or you love your friend or you love whatever. Love is not according to your definition of what love is. Love is according to the definition of what Jesus says love is. And so what kind of love is this? Well, it's a love that starts with Jesus. He says, I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love his disciples and how did Jesus love us? Well, let me take you to uh, Romans, which is another book in the, the New Testament, Romans chapter 5. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, I, I think we have Bibles back there that on your way out, you can just take one. It's not stealing. We want to give it to you. And if we don't have one uh, in your language, well, we can help get you one. So we usually have English and French here, but please let us know. Um, Romans 5, 6 to 8. This shows us what the love of Jesus looks like. It says this, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this little phrase, Jesus loves you, is not this trite little children's song. 
or I guess it's Jesus loves me. It's not this, this little motto that, that has no meaning to it. It carries profound weight to it because Jesus was so moved in his being for you and for me that he would come and he would lay down his life for who? For the weak, for the ungodly, and for the sinner, for those who are other than him. Jesus didn't come looking for the people who was like, oh, you look like me, you have my color skin, you speak my language, let's all rally around together and call ourselves the church. No, no, no. Jesus came to those who were unlike him. Jesus came to those who didn't want him. And he said, I'm going to come and I'm going to reveal to you what love actually is. And I want to bring you into my family. And I want to make you to be just like me. Not by behavior modification, not through Psych 101 or 401 or whatever. But through my love flowing through your veins, changing you, giving you a complete transfusion, removing who you were and putting myself into you so that you would be just like me. Jesus loves us with this untamable type of love. That even when you say, I'm so unlovely, Jesus, you would never want me. He says, try me. He pursues you through your worst. Jesus' love is, is ridiculously, recklessly, it seems, amazing. Like we choose who we want to love based on what we might get back. But Jesus chooses to pursue those who are unlike him so that he can make us like him. It's incredible. And I know, like, we're downtown, we're uh, more intellectual and cerebral, and we want to take it all in, but I hope that your heart moves a little bit by that. Maybe even like us quiet, like, hmm, you know, that Jesus would get at your affections and awaken your attention to the reality of who he is and what he has done. And then his, his, his loving us to death, and resurrection leads to verse 10 of Romans 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That we have been brought to life spiritually in a sense, in a very real sense. To, to have our beings awakened to understand who Jesus is and that we are brought into relationship. We were once enemies, but now we are family with him. We were once against him, and now we are his friends. And so love, love, the love of Jesus made an impossible relationship. Hear this. Love made an impossible relationship into an eternal bond. That's what the love of Jesus does. He walks into the realm of impossibility and says, no, let me fix all this and let me make it eternal. And he, is, he is passionate in his pursuit for his enemies so that he can make us just like him. And then we're invited into relationship with him where we can enjoy him. We can spend time with him. We can hear from him. Many of us, if, if you've been part of the church, your relationship with God is often that I show up to a thing on a Sunday morning, and maybe I show up to a thing midweek, and that's kind of it. Maybe I get, you know, a coffee mug with a verse on it so I can spend time in the, the Bible, right, in my morning, and that's it. And where Jesus is saying, that's all you think life with me is, right? My wife is not here. She's up watching even more rambunctious kids. There's like level of rambunctiousness. There's like this rambunctious, and then there's upper levels and upper echelons of that. Are you telling me to move this away from my face? Okay, good, great. 
We're working hardcore sign language here. Um, what was I saying? I was talking about rambunctiousness of kids, and then somehow it doesn't, it doesn't really even, even matter at this point because I'm off my notes, and we need to get back into what we need to be in. So relationship, though, with Jesus involves others. So Jesus rescues you, and it's not just an individual relationship with him. It's, it's a relationship that includes many brothers and sisters. It includes many different people. So you're rescued by Jesus, not to this neat little quiet time with him. That's where I was going, your little coffee mug. That some of you think that your relationship is, is merely that. And Jesus is saying, I, I want to show my everything to you. I want to bring you into the fullness of who I am. And for you to explore this, these unfathomable depths of who I am. And I don't want you to just do that with me alone on a mountaintop. I want to bring you into a family. That if you're a follower of Jesus this morning then you are part of the family of God. And that means we belong to one another. And that we get to enjoy God together. That we get to encounter him together. And if you're only encountering Jesus all by yourself, you're missing out on a way, a significant way that Jesus intends for you to experience him. And that's in community. It's in community. And we're called to love one another. Are you going to go talk to them, Evan? Is that what's happening? Oh, thank you, man. Oh, it's, it's hard enough, right? I'm like so distractible. And I'm like, I wonder what they're playing up there. I wonder how many kids are up there. I wonder if they're okay. Like all these questions go on in my mind. But the idea is if we're the church, which we are, then we are to love one another. And what does this look like? What does loving one another look like? Because uh, the church is full of very interesting people. That's kind of the title we give. Oh, that's interesting. They're interesting. Right? And that's so that we don't really say what we really want to say. Right? Or they're special. There's something interesting about them. But if you and I were to spend a lot of time together, you'd find that we don't have probably tons in common. I remember sitting, we're celebrating 10 years. I remember sitting with 20 people in our living room 10 years ago. And I looked around the room. I was 30 then, very immature. I'm 40 now, extremely mature. Got everything figured out. Um, it's not true. Uh, but I said to this group of 20 people in a moment of conviction, I don't know that I would have chosen any of you to be here. Right? It's like one of those like, wow, nailed that one. And then I just let it sit for a second. And all of them just kind of looked around like, do we leave now? Like, what do, what do we do? And I said, no, no, no. I said that on purpose. Because we don't have much in common. Yeah, we can speak similar languages. Yeah, we like food. Uh, yeah, we like being indoors. Great. But beyond that, we don't have a lot in common, except the only thing that we'll have in common for all of eternity, and that is that we are part of the family of Jesus. And so that's going to overcome everything that we're going to encounter. We're going to bump into differences. If you're part of the church, you're going to disagree with me and others on certain topics. But if we're family, we move through that. We move through that. Because what is this type of love that we're supposed to love one another with? Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You might have heard these verses at a wedding. It's very like nice and cute and wonderful. But uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is written because life is hard. We disagree with people and we want to walk away from them. Listen to what love is. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Love is patient and kind. If that's what love is, what do we assume about the people that we're with? That we have to be patient and kind with them because they're frustrating to be with. 
Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. This is one for the church, isn't it? That we want things our way. Well, I don't really like that there. I'd rather have it there. And I'd rather have a stage. I don't like this green carpet. I, I want to have it my way. And churches divide over silly things like that. Right? Church, brand new churches started. Why? Well, because we like red rugs, not green rugs. Green rugs don't really invite God into the... It's like, what? You're silly. You're silly. It does not... It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And here's where it gets really interesting. Love bears all things. Not like most things, all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And then the passage ends with love never ends. If we sent you out with those verses, and I'm like, all right, I want you to go live that way. How quickly would you fail? Like almost immediately, right? You would not love in this way. You would get frustrated that you can't make it through that staircase or that there's some, there's like a circus show happening after we're done. You're going to have to like walk through somehow, right? It'll be easy not to love people because they're in your way and you're going to insist on your way and you're going to think your way is better and ah, if they would just move out of my agenda. It's so easy to not love and yet we don't need to love with our love. It's the love that Jesus has loved us with that he's put into us. He knew we couldn't love this way, so what did he do? He downloaded that into us or uploaded it or whatever way it goes. He loaded it somehow, but I know it's through the Spirit of God. And he says, I know you don't have the love to love the people in this room. I know you can barely remember all the people's names in this room. But I've loved you and put my love in you so that you can move toward them in love. Because you can't do it, but I've done it. And I'm giving that to you. You see, Christianity isn't a try harder. It's a, I can't do it. Christianity is, I can't do it, and I need you to do it for me. Yeah, like, that's good. And I'm so thankful because there's so much that I can't do. Not try harder, but go to the bank of grace. Um, I've never met a kid on Christmas morning that when all the presents run out, are like, oh, good, I was so tired of opening presents. Right? Kids are like borderline tipping over the tree as they're looking underneath to see if there might be something left under there. They open this big epic thing at the end, and they're like, maybe there's a candy cane still. It's like they just want more gifts. And the reality with Jesus is that there's always more. That, that tree never runs out of gifts. There's always more for us in him. And it's not just about his gifts, it's about him. There's always more of him to have. I, I've been married for, for 12 years now. My wife and I, uh, we, we take vacations together without kids. Uh, we get dates together without kids because I want to keep exploring who my wife is. I want to know her more. I, I hope we get at least 50 years together. And at the end of 50 years, I hope that I'm still exploring more of who she is, not doing Sudoku puzzles next to her, showing her like, look, I made it. Right? It's like f sitting face to face saying, tell me more of who you are. I want to I love you better than I did when I was 40. Right? That we keep pursuing one another in relationship. And that's the way that Jesus pursues us. And that's the way we get to pursue him. And love, do you know how Jesus pursues us? Only in love. 
Some of us think that God is this cosmic God sitting in the corner of the universe waiting for us to mess up and kind of like, I'm using baseball again, okay? Like a tee that's something you put a ball on and you hit it, right? That God is just waiting for us to mess up so that he can tee up and like smash us with truth. And it's like, oh, God smashed me with this thing. No, 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 that's not how he changes us. He changes us with love. He changes us with love. He gives us more of himself so that we see more of who he is and more of his intentions. He changes his bride by loving her more. The church is is the bride of Christ. Some of us have really good plans for the church. And uh, before we planted a church, my wife and I were assessed to do that, and we were a whopping four months into our marriage when when we did that, and we were sitting down in front of these three guys that were assessing us and asking us all kinds of questions about what we were going to do. And, uh, and during that, that conversation, it came out that I had a plan of discipleship for my wife, right? I had a plan of how she was going to grow in holiness and how she was going to become more like Jesus. And somehow that, that came out. It was a secret plan. I didn't like post it on the fridge for her, right? It was like a secret plan. And in the conversation, it came out. And, uh, and the three guys just looked at me, and they're like, oh, so you're the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I guess I never thought of it that way. And they looked at her, and they said, how do you like that your husband has this, this plan, this discipline to change you into what he wants you to be? She's like, don't like it. it but it was a beautiful moment for me because I got to realize and, and be reminded that, oh, like the Lord is going to take care of my wife. The Holy Spirit is going to change her through love. And any input I have has to be love, not discipline, not like we need to be doing this. And God is going to change you and I through love. And love is at the center of his mission. Now, Jesus said in John 13, 35, that people are going to know you're my disciples by what? By how you love one another. The love you have for one another. So what does that tell us? That we can't just be the church in this kind of, this is like a circus gym all throughout the week. We can't get inside the circus gym, be the church, and then like, okay, we'll come back next week, right? And we'll be the church again. Jesus is saying, if you want for the city of Montreal to see how you love one another, it has to be in front of them. The Hoyt, Team Hoyt, as they did their races, it was not a private race. It was out in public where everyone got to look in, and I've never, if you want to like YouTube them later, I've never seen someone who watches their race and their story that isn't like weeping by the end, which is why I didn't want to show the video at the beginning of the sermon, because it just moves you when you see that happening. It's, it's unreal in a sense. It's hard enough to make it through an Ironman all by yourself, let alone care for someone else in that way, and yet that's exactly what the church is called to do, that we don't just make it through the world. We live out in our normal everyday life with the power of the Spirit living in us, but also loving one another and showcasing that. The church is made to demonstrate the love of Jesus, that the love of Jesus is put on display through us. We're like signposts or signboards as we are loving one another. It's an alien type of community. Let me give you a few ordinary examples of how A community loving one another over the past 10 years has shown the city who Jesus is. I remember our first little city group. We had 10 guys and like three women. (laughs) It was wild. That never happens usually. Um, Usually in the church, there's lots of women, few guys. And so this was like, whoa, crazy. 
So uh, neighbor across the street had put up this pool normally, and uh, the guy who, who put it up for her every year, he had a stroke. And so he wasn't able to, to do that. And she said, I don't know how the pool is going to get put up. I said, well, in about 20 minutes, I have 10 guys that are showing up. We'll come and we'll put this thing up. She's like, oh, you've put up pools before? I'm like, never. But I'm sure that we can figure it out. So we get this pool all put up. And during that time, she's asking lots of questions. She's telling us, oh, I, we don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus, but thank you so much for coming. And then halfway through, she, she reminded me of what happened to her friend and the stroke he had. She said, well, you guys pray. Could, could you pray for him? And I said, well, oh, yeah, let's just stop now and pray. She's like, oh, okay. And so we prayed for him, and she was teared up by that and that we would care enough to do that. Um, but we put up the pool and lots of conversations. We had a really good time together as these 10 guys. Uh, and then it was after that that she had all these questions. She's like, why do you guys get together? What do you guys do? Because you guys actually seem to care for one another in a way I've never seen people care for one another before. And then you care for me. And it was about three years later that one day she stopped me as I was leaving the house. She called me over and she wanted to share with me this, this weird country song about Jesus. Like very strange. And she said, I've started downloading music about Jesus. I'm like, that's fabulous. I don't know if it's good or not, but like that's just great. I'm going to let you do that. And it was about a year after that that she came to me and she said that I've begun following Jesus. And it began with a community coming, loving one another, having a really good time, putting up a pool, and caring for her in the midst of that. Not all stories end like that, by the way. Uh, our church is very good at moving one another. When people move, usually, uh, when it's not severely last minute, uh, lots of people show up and they're moving. And people ask, neighbors are like, where did you find this moving company and why would you you know, hire people that are that short, and like, why, I'm like, I didn't get to choose the church, they're like, it's the church, I'm like, yeah, it's the church, when I show up to move you, they're like, yeah, but who else is coming, like, this is, this is all you got, the power of the spirit moving in me, come on, I think Samson, if you know the story of Samson, in, in kids' Bibles, it's like, Samson's this big guy, I'm like, I think Samson was about 5'8", 155 pounds, but when the spirit of God came upon him, he became strong, I'm probably wrong, but I like, to think, I like to think that. But neighbors are baffled that people just show up in droves to move, and you have a team here and a team there. Babysitting. We've never paid for babysitting at all. Parents are like, this is crazy. I don't know what that was. It's a 10-minute warning or something. Uh, babysitting. We never pay for babysitting. Why? Because the church is really family, and they're just loving us in such a way that they're coming and, and doing that. Uh, we have parties and, and meals and just so many opportunities for our city to get to see followers of Jesus loving one another and loving them. And so many people have become followers of Jesus in our church at the dinner table, being welcomed in. Not, not first-time dinner table, maybe, but over time. Because they're getting to experience hospitality and being welcomed and loved by people who are following Jesus. And then the last example I'll share is that we helped uh, plant a house church in Saskatchewan during, during COVID. And uh, the, the leaders of, of that group were once part of Church 21. They're now living out there. And they had a couple in their group that they got in an accident and they kind of had like this beater of a van that got totaled and the insurance wasn't giving them the amount that they needed to buy a new van. So the group secretly came together and said, well, let's just buy them a, a new van. And so they went down, they gathered enough money, went down, this is not a big group, by the way, went to the dealership and bought this like $35,000 brand new van, 
called the guy, said, meet me here at the dealership, and said, you just need to go and sign the papers, the keys to this are yours. The minivan's better than anyone else's minivan in that community as well. But that's what happens, right? And so the woman, one of the women who are leading that, that house church, her boss uh, is a lawyer. She's a lawyer as well. And they were telling what they were doing because she had to leave work to go and do this thing. And her boss is just like, why would you do that? Why would you guys do that? And her boss actually said, I would never do that for someone. And so that was Carla's opportunity to get to explain what Jesus has done for them and why they're glad to actually purchase a van that's far better than everyone else's in that community so that they could be better off. Because this is, this is what happens when we love one another in front of those who don't yet know who Jesus is. They say, I've never seen that before. And they begin exploring quite often what it could look like if they were a part of it. People marvel at this and ask why. And that's when we need to be ready. That's when we need to be ready to say, well, this is, this is why. This is what's been going on in our hearts, and this is why we would do this. It's not so we can look at ourselves in the mirror at the end of the day and say, I'm a better person. I'm a good person. You, you are justified in your existence. It's that, man, I can't believe that Jesus did so much for me that I would have the opportunity to lay down 10 grand so that someone else could get a new van. Like, wow, what a privilege that is to get to do that. And this is Jesus' strategy to reach the world. Jesus' strategy is to take former enemies, former ungodly people, unlovely people, change them, have them love one another, and do it in every context around the world. There is no country that can close their borders to servants of God loving one another like this. This is why when you go into places like Iran and Afghanistan where you say, no, 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 Jesus is allowed here, and, and disciples start loving one another like this, the church blows up, right? Those are the, the, two, the two places where the church is growing the fastest, where they say, you cannot be here and do this. And Jesus is like, well, well just watch me do it. And we don't need to have big, big buildings for this. We'll do it all underground. We'll make love the thing that's flowing underground in our city everywhere. So our vision is Church 21. Let me land the plane in, in applying all this to what we're going to do. Our vision is to forge followers of Jesus. Now, in my notes, I, I was just writing things finally this morning. Uh, it actually says, our vision is to forget followers of Jesus. Um, so that's not true. Uh, spell check... <laughs> Spellcheck didn't get my heart this morning. Uh, our vision is to forge followers of Jesus for his mission, which means that we want for Jesus to be known everywhere around the city. This is one of the reasons that we, we broke up our party that we had at the Scotiabank Theater, which honestly was really nice to come into, and it was a really nice theater, and it was great. And it takes a lot of work to do the different churches in different locations and make us sure that we're all lined up. But we want for every man, woman, and child to have the opportunity to experience who Jesus is and what he's done all around Montreal. So, so therefore, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us comfort, but we have all the comfort we need in Jesus, so we're glad to lay some of that stuff down. We want for his glory to take over the city of Montreal as he's building his church, and he's going to build his church through him loving us and us loving one another in front of the world and as we share our lives. So here's how we, we structure this within Church 21. Uh, first thing is that we have something called city groups. If you were here last week, you heard a lot, I, I assume, about, about city groups. City groups is really where we get to be a family of servants 
on his mission. Family of servants on God's mission. And the focus is twofold. That we care about one another. And we want to be caring for those in the church. But then we also want to be on mission. And we don't want to give up one for the other. Some churches will say, we're all about mission, but we don't really care about the people in the church. Uh, others say, we're all about the church, we want to care for people well, but we give up on mission. So we want to do both of those well. There, there are tension that need to be held. And so um, family is really all of life. I don't say to our kids at dinner time, like, all right, now we're being family. You know, now we'll go off in our own things and we'll come back together and we'll be family at the next meal. No, we're family in, in all of life. And that's part of the hard thing for some of us when we talk about city groups. We think about city groups as like, oh, our city group is Wednesday night. And she's like, well, well, not really. Like, your city group is all the time. Just like we're the church all the time and like we're family all the time. But we get together once a week as a full family. So our city groups meet four times a month. This is the, the rhythm of when they meet. Two of those times are really focused on family stuff that we're caring for one another and hearing about what's going on and praying for one another and we're hearing from God and what he wants for us. But then the other two are really outward focused and so we serve because some people you come to the city, I know some of you students are here and you've come to the city to, to take something from the city, right? You're here to get an education and that's good. I'm so glad you're here for that. But so often we can view cities as only places that we take and we consume. And, well, I moved here because I like the food, I like the culture, I like art, and it's all of what we take. But God brings us into places so that we can give. We don't come with grabby hands. We come with hands open, ready to serve out his goods wherever we are. And so some of our city groups serve in pregnancy centers. I'm talking about our whole church, all the different locations. They serve in pregnancy centers. They walk with, with new moms and single moms and Families that are going through really difficult times, like we, we have people there serving. Uh, some people work in, with shelters, so they're continuously caring for, for our neighbors without homes. People uh, work with Red Frogs, which I think we're going to hear something about uh, this morning. Red Frogs is something that's on campus where we're able to go into places where people are getting blasted and wasted and serve them and care for them and do whatever needed so that they're taken care of in, in the midst of some of their, their hardest times. Sometimes parties reveal uh, some of our, our deepest brokenness. So we want to be there. Um, but we want to serve. We want to serve. We want to serve in our apartment buildings. We want to serve in our neighborhood. If you're part of Church 21, this is what we're on about. That we want for you to embrace and receive the good news of who Jesus is in such a way that you'll be glad to go out and serve wherever you are. Because that's our new identity. We're servants. But the second thing is we're on mission. And mission isn't always this really hard, difficult thing. Mission is often fun. Really fun. Um, we try and have movie nights often. And we invite people who are part of the church and those who aren't a part of the church. We do movie nights inside, outside. We like to have parties, and obviously we have limits with COVID of what we can do, but we want to have parties. We have game nights. We have barbecues. We have all kinds of things, but the idea is that we want to meet people who don't yet know Jesus, not so that we can use them and we can throw out our, our, you know, our thing. Yeah, let me tell you about Jesus because you're here. No, I want to I want for you to experience real love, and I want for you to experience real relationship. And if you never believe in who Jesus is, I'm still going to be your friend, right? I'm still going to walk with you. That, this isn't like the breakup thing. And yet so often we as Christians can view people who aren't yet Christians as projects. 
okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to them, I'm going to work with them, but if, man, if they don't believe by this date, it's like, I don't know if I can keep talking to them. It's like, oh, but that's not what Jesus did. That Jesus was with people who were so unlike him. Jesus was with different socioeconomic classes. Jesus was, was with the people that Jesus shouldn't be with. This is what mission is. Mission isn't this nice, neat little thing that you get to do once a month. Mission is your life. That you're at university, you're in your job, you're in your neighborhood, if you're a follower of Jesus, because that's where he wants you on mission right now. Your degree is not the ultimate thing for Jesus. It's a good thing, but it's not the ultimate thing. It's that he would move in you in such a way that you would gladly lay down your lives and give them away for other people around you. This is the mission. Mission isn't an add-on either. It runs through everything that we do. So when you think about mission, don't think about an extra thing. Think about, okay, I'm going to go shopping. Who can I invite to go shopping with me? Who's, who's a person that's in the church or not yet in the church that I can take shopping with me? And if they say, no, I don't want to go, well, that's okay because you're still going shopping, right? So you just constantly invite people into the normal things you're already doing, and it's incredible the conversations that come up as you're doing these things, and you give opportunities uh, for God to work in them. So we have city groups. If you're not yet part of a city group, I would say to be part of Church 21, you, you don't have to be part of a city group. Some of you are going to be part of a, uh, a group on campus, and I think that those are really good and amazing. Uh, but if you're not, then I would say join, join a city group. This is really where you're going to get to experience family of servants on mission. Secondly, we have Alpha. Do you know what Alpha is? Some of you? Okay. So Alpha is something that's offered. It is a program. It's an event. Uh, but it's offered out uh, to answer some of your questions about Christianity or your friends' questions about Christianity. And so we're offering one of those this fall. Uh, we have a, a couple in our NDG location, which is a different location, Church 21, who are going to be leading that. Uh, but answering the questions isn't the main thing of Alpha. Alpha is where they get to experience hospitality with people that are already following Jesus. And they get to be loved, they get to be cared for, and they get to see what it looks like for people who love one another. Right? So Alpha, if you have questions about who Jesus is, or you think your friends would want to participate in that, please let me know. A third thing that we offer is something called Courses for Everyone. I think Jordan I spoke about this last week, but I just want to mention that this is really um, eight Saturdays for about five hours. There are eight of them over the whole course of the year. This is where we want to equip you, lots of, lots of knowledge and intellectual stuff, but then it's to take it out. It's going to strengthen you as you're going out to serve on mission. So I would encourage you to, to be a part of that. Um, we're partnering with about 15 churches across Montreal, which if that's like a, oh, okay, that, that's never happened, really. Churches don't partner in that way. And so that just uh, helps me understand that, like, wow, God is doing something to help churches to get over some of the differences that we have to say, no, we need to be making disciples all across our city. So courses for everyone. Uh, next is youth. We have a youth group uh, that meets, and it's all the different locations. And uh, if you want to work with youth, we really need your help, honestly. Uh, we, we need, uh, I'm not on Red Frogs yet, so you can just go back to whatever it was uh, before for the normal slide, yeah. Uh, so youth, uh, and the youth, we're taking youth from about 20 different churches 
they're getting to uh, serve the city together so that the city is, is getting to see what it looks like for disciples who are 12 to 17 to really love one another, right? We don't want this to happen when they're adults. We want for it to happen when they're young. This is good news. And the last place that we structure this within our church is your ordinary life. Your ordinary life, living that with gospel intentionality. We use the, the acronym BLESS, that we want to live lives of BLESS. I know it doesn't work in English, but got to make it work. We want to live lives of BLESS everywhere we go, right? And so the B is that we begin with prayer. And that's not just like you start your day with prayer. It's that you begin everything with prayer. Lord, I'm going into this class. I don't know what you have for this class, but help me to be a servant. I'm here to be on mission. Uh, Lord, I'm going into this neighborhood cookout. Uh, I want to eat good food, but I don't know what you have for this. I, I'm ready to be your servant. So we begin with prayer. And then as we're involved in that thing, we listen. Christians are really good at talking. We talk a lot. And as we converse with people, it's almost like crouching tiger, hidden dragon. It's like we're like ready to pounce on them with our, our Christian ninja skills of argument or debate. And it's like, Man, Jesus is not calling us to argue and debate with people. He's not, he's not doing that. We listen. We need to be equipped in how to close our mouths and open our ears. We listen to them because as we're listening to them, we're going to get to hear of their needs. We're going to get to hear of their, their worldviews. We're going to get to hear of their struggles. We're going to get to hear of their past. We're going to get to hear a lot about them. I often, in my conversations with people, I just keep asking why. Oh, that's interesting. Why? Oh, that's really interesting. Why? So if you have a conversation with me, just know that's probably what I'm going to do. Because I want to know what's really going on deep inside of you so that we can actually care for you in a deep way. So begin with prayer. We listen. We eat. The E is eat. We eat with people. More people have met Jesus in Church 21 around kitchen tables than anywhere else. Because as we're eating with people, we have something in common and we're getting to hear their stories and we're getting to speak over time about who Jesus is and what he did, he's done, and they're saying, that's what I want. And it's usually as many dinners, right? We're patient. We're very patient. They're patient with us as well. So we begin with prayer. We listen. We eat. We serve, right, which we've already talked about. And then we story. We share our stories. They share their stories. And we share how the story of God is one that intersects with every story that's ever existed and that that's the bigger story that all of our stories submit to, that we want to be all about Jesus. And so as a church, as Church 21, we just recognize that we are privileged. Man, we are so privileged that we get to be on mission in this city at this time. Montreal is, is a city that has a deep history of Christianity through Catholicism, but it's probably a different Catholicism than you might be familiar with. It's a Catholicism that is heavy with authority. It's a Catholicism that is, um, man, blown through with lots of abuse and scandal. And people just don't like the church. They're, they want to see. You can't just say, oh, no, 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 our church is different. They want to see that your Jesus, our Jesus, actually works and that we believe this in such a way that he alters our life and that we're not authoritarians looking to have power and control over people, but rather looking to serve them. We have the privilege of being on a mission that won't fail. You might fail your class. You might get fired at your job. But his mission, it won't fail. Habakkuk says, a book in the Old Testament, says that the glory of God one day 
is going to fill the earth as the water covers the sea. And I read that, and I'm like, I don't know a lot about water, but, like, isn't water the sea? Like, aren't they the same thing? It's like, yeah. Like, that's how much the glory of God is going to cover everything, that there's not a square inch anywhere in, in the cosmos that won't be screaming the glory of God. That's what's coming. And then Revelation tells us that there will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity around the throne of God. Not saying, my culture is better than yours. My language is better than yours. We're going to be saying, you're the one, Jesus. You're the one, and we're all about you. That's coming. That's what this mission is all about, having more people enjoying Jesus. And as you're on mission, you're going to fail you're going to forget, you're going to mess up, and you're going to be so tempted to think, man, Jesus doesn't really love me. Jesus doesn't really care about me anymore. I'm not, I'm not bringing anything to the table anymore. I, I'm too weak for this. I, I don't think I belong anymore. And oftentimes, that's when people just bail on the church. The church couldn't really love me and want me. I, I have no place here because Jesus doesn't want me. But listen to what... Listen to what Christ's love really is. And, and I share this story. It's a very personal uh, little, little quote because uh, my dad, when I was on vacation, my dad passed away. He had pancreatic cancer. And while we were on vacation, we went to Maine, and uh, he passed away within the first five days that we were there. But I had the privilege of sitting with him uh, before he couldn't really communicate anymore. And I read him a lot of scripture. He loved Jesus so much. Uh, his final clear words to me were, I just can't wait to meet Jesus, right? That's what the mission is all about. But I read to him this thing about the love of Jesus. And it, it was profound in that moment. And I think it's profound for us here. So let me read it to you. It's from the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. He writes, Jesus loved his own all the way through death itself. So what must that mean for you? It means first that your future is secure. If you are his, heaven and relief is coming. For you cannot be made unhis. That's so important. You cannot be made unhis. He's got you. He himself made you his own, and you can't squirm out of his grasp. And it means second that he will love you to the end. Not only is your future secure, on the basis of his death, but your present is secure, proven in his heart. He will love you to the end because he cannot bear to do otherwise. He has no exit strategy with you. He has no prenup. He'll love to the end of our lives, to the end of our sins, to the end of our temptations, to the end of our fears. And as you take that last breath, Jesus reaches in and he pulls you to himself and he looks you face to face and he says, I've loved you this whole time and now for all of eternity, I want you to explore the unfathomable depths of my love. We are sent on mission now to tell of this one that everyone, whether by faith or by force, will bow their knee to him. So how do we respond to this? First, maybe some of you need to pray and, and say, I need to experience this love again. Christianity is something I feel like I'm just playing. I show up, I play the part, I do the thing, I pray the prayer. I, and you need to experience the love of Jesus. He needs to like ravage your heart. 
to open your eyes again to who he really is. And if you ask him, he'll do that. And maybe you need to have that done for the first time. It's like, man, everything you're saying about Jesus, I want that. There's no one who will pursue me like that. And he'll enter your lives today. You can ask him. Maybe you need to ask him to fill your heart with, with his love for one another. Because you're okay with loving him. You like him a lot. But you look around the room and you're like, oh, I don't know that I love all these people. But ask him. Say, Jesus, I need your love for this church. I need your love to serve the people here in this room. And he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. And then you can take responsibility for other people. You can begin to love them and track with them and say, I am going to pursue you the way that Jesus pursued me. Because I, I want you to know him and experience him. And lastly, our, our church has been begging God to revive our city. That Montreal is a very unreached city, but that Montreal would become the most reached city in the world. And if you're here for a season, you're here forever, would you please enter into that prayer with us? Would you beg him that revival would come to our city, to our families, and to this nation? So I, I'm going to pray, and then, uh, and then we'll respond. God, thank you that, that you love us. Thank you that you pursue us to the end. Thank you that you don't give up. Thank you that you, um, you're not put off by our complacency. Uh, you can break through that. I, and I want to pray for those who, who are here saying, I've, I've never loved Jesus. Would you, Jesus, open their hearts to believe in you today? And would they be able to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and you rose for me. And would you welcome them into your family? I want to pray for those who know you and yet who have lost their first love. That they're, they're, they're consumed with so many other things. Would you help them to, to be consumed with you again? Would you fill us with your love for one another so that we don't have to look in our little, our little reservoirs, but would you fill our cup? Would you fill our reservoir? Would you fill us with your love for other people? And we beg you, would you please open up the hearts of so many in this city to know you and meet you and love you and need you. We want for revival to come, and we can't do that. Only you can do that. So Jesus, help us. Pray all this in your name. Amen.